Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is a Q&A podcast. So we have many students who are right now following the Mandarin Blueprint Method online course curriculum. And so they're learning character components, they're learning characters, they're learning words and sentences and paragraphs and stories and all of these things. And so during each week, many questions come in and many suggestions of how to uh, sort of add potential mnemonic devices to our memory techniques are submitted each week in the comment section of the course. So there's every lesson has a video and uh, some text or just some text depending on where you are in the course. And below each lesson is a comment box and people leave their comments and they say, okay, uh, here's a suggestion that we could add here. Here's a question I have. Here's a comment I have. And each week on the podcast, we address these questions and talk about how we can integrate that more into the course. So before we get into those questions and suggestions, I'd like to talk a little bit first about the new updates to the course that are coming so soon. They're coming very soon, which is a 910 character expansion to the course. At the moment, the character order only has 592 characters. We're gonna add at least 910, so we're nearly tripling the size of the course very soon. and it won't be uh, all up within one month, but I can promise you this. Within one month, we will have new content available beyond level 36. So for those of you who've already gotten through the course, look out for some new content coming forward. And uh, this is a, an exciting time for us because it's going to really, really expand what the course can allow for you to do if you get through the whole thing. And anybody who gets beyond, I would say, probably like level 12 or 13, You've already figured out how to do the mnemonic method for learning characters very well, and so you'll be able to smash through anything going after that. The, the key is just to not have any zero days. That's the key to any habit building. And so let's go into some of the questions today and look out for those new character expansions. So first we're gonna start with pick a prop. Now pick a prop, what this is, and we have a link to the blog post about this, so you can always reference that in the show notes, in the doobly-doo. Um, and so, what we're going to look at with the picker props is the suggestions that came in during the week that were from people in the course and they said, okay, this is a Chinese character component and here's my suggestion for an object to represent it because you're going to need to use this character component many times in the future and it's easier to remember an object like a basketball or uh, a, the sphinx or a skyscraper of some sort than it is to remember a little squiggly line on the page. 2D non-inspirational, it's just a boring little squiggle on the page. Evolutionarily speaking, our brains are not that good at remembering that type of thing. But when it comes to 3D object core object recognition, man, we're great at that. We can remember objects very well. And so if you can have an object that maps on to a Chinese character component because it either relates to the meaning or it relates to how the component looks, You'll be way better at remembering it, and that is a tool you can use to quickly memorize a character that happens to use that component in the future. So we gave our suggestions. We always gave two or three suggestions right at the beginning. Luke and I got together, you know, a few years ago now and put together all these suggestions. Since then, we have had thousands of prop suggestions from people who are on the course, which means that you're, the chances that you're not going to come up with something that makes sense as a representation of the Chinese character components are getting less and less because there's so many great suggestions. This week, coming in from William Ed Meadies, we had pick a prop for feng, which means square, or it can also mean like aspect or respect. Like, so in this respect, I think this, that, but in this respect, I think this other thing. Um, but 
It also means square. So he said, okay, SpongeBob SquarePants. Perfect. That's exactly the type of thing. It's easy to imagine SpongeBob. It's not so easy to imagine the character in your mind. So imagine SpongeBob instead of a square or instead of the actual component on the page. Another one from William on pick a prop for tie. And uh, he said giant tweezers or a vulture, right? Because this character can mean to like pick something up specifically from above and have that uh, kind of like a bird's talons would be able to pick something up. So that makes sense. Pick a prop for ba, uh, Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons, right? Because ba can mean crust. And that's one of its, it actually has a few meanings. And this is also a character that it tends to be used in transcriptions. So um, uh, like, for example, I think in, in Harry Potter, there's a character named Barty Crouch, and I'm pretty sure it's Body. Body uh, is the way that it's come up with Barty. And so that's a, an example there. Krusty the Clown. Ba means crust. And then um, a couple other things that William suggested. Toast or the earth, because you've got the crust of the earth. You've got crust on toast. Uh, I'm giving my toast a healthy serving of Marmite, of course, because he's from New Zealand. A delicacy here in New Zealand, right? Jamie Miller on pick a prop for Xiao, which means little, Stuart Little, easy. See, that's the simple type of link you can make to quickly remember that prop forever, way more easily than a bunch of squiggles on the page. Chad Wrestler on pick a prop for Qi. Uh, and so this means like his, hers, its. It's kind of a way of more formally adding possession to something. Uh, in spoken language, you'll tend to just say tada like his, her, or the mine, or ni, the yours. But in some more formal writing, they'll use qi to indicate that sort of uh, uh, possession. And so Chad says here, the idea of a tool rack is good, and he's basing that on how this particular component looks. So the idea of a tool rack is good. We have uh, what we call the A-frame at my garage, because Chad works in a uh, garage and that looks like this with wheels on the bottom so that it is what I will be using perfect Yeah, exactly the type of thing you would want to do uh, You can look at the actual meaning but you know possession in a formal sense It's a bit hard to do but look the character kind of looks like this particular tool rack that with the uh, a-frame the a-frame tool rack William on pick a prop for Trey, which is William must have finished the course because this is the second to last <laughs> This may be the very last prop you have to pick um he says a windmill. This character kind of reminds me of the classic windmill blades. Sure, I can see how that, how it looks like that. The classic windmill blades there. Excellent. Connor Griffith on pick a prop for Shue, which means uh, a hole. And so he said a hole puncher. Perfect. Uh, William Edmides on pick a prop for E. And this is a character. If you see it, it almost looks like a guy who's holding his hands out, and there's like a a drop under his armpit. So you could imagine them as like sweat or like stink lines <laughs> so he says i remember seeing an axe slash lynx body spray ad a while ago that illustrated this prop quite perfectly so uh he's got the youtube link to that ad i'll not play it here because i don't know i got a copyright strike or something so but you can check that out in the show notes that makes sense connor griffith on pick a prop for fun a curtain or a mosquito net sure yeah i can actually see how that would look a bit like that and uh, fen means to divide, so you can also say a curtain divi can divide a room or a mosquito net can divide the area that mosquitoes are allowed to uh, fly around. <laughs> but it's also, I can see how it looks like that too. Greg Reed on Pick a Prop for Show. The Infinity Gauntlet and Thing from the Addams Family, both great options for show because show just means hand. So Thing from uh, 
Adam Sandley is literally a hand, so that works fine. Kathleen Gans on pick a prop for Dan. And she says, I actually still chose the sun rising above the horizon for daybreak, even though you caution against it. My AN set is the South Pole Science Research Station in Antarctica. Daybreak at the end of the winter after months of no sun is a very memorable vision of the sun peaking above the horizon for the first time. It is quite an event for those here to experience it. Well, that's awesome, Kathleen, that you've done any research on the South Pole in Antarctica. What a cool experience that must have been. And yeah, I can imagine if you'd had the whole, uh, I guess it would be the, the what in the Northern Hemisphere we would call the summer, uh, after that finishes and you enter into the, um, you know, later, later months of the year. Wow. Yeah, that you getting daybreak after that would probably be quite the memorable experience. And that's the more important key here. So we said, consider not using the sun because we use the sun for another prop. So we're saying maybe you'll get confused. But gosh, if you have a daybreak emotional connection that's that strong, that's the best type of mnemonic device. Ones that connect right back to a, uh, an experience you've had that was profound for you personally. Chad Ressler on pick a prop for tongue. I went with a sickle, sort of looks like uh, the component, but also in the roundabout way, it ties to factory. Hammer and sickle it relates to communism, relates to the proletariat, relates to factory workers, and that makes sense because, you know, tongue means factory. So, sure, and that's fine. You can make these uh, longer links, and so long as you remember it, it's all good. And again, way easier than just remembering squiggles on the page. There was one actor suggestion this year, which is Buzz Lightyear for the casting call for B-U. So any of the uh, particular pronunciations to start with uh, B-U, like Bu, which is, uh, of course, the character for no or not in Chinese. You can imagine a fictional character because of the all the U sounds, whether it's Bu, Tu, Du. These are all fictional characters, and so he went with Buzz Lightyear, so that's fine. Um Pick a prop for, or sorry, set the scene for uh, A-N-G. So with the set the scenes, this is the pinyin final, like A-N-G, ang. So any pronunciation that starts with or ends with A-N-G, like for example, bang or chang. Like we just learned the character for uh, factory, which is chang. That'll take place in a certain uh, location, which we'll call a set. And the set is A-N-G in this case, and he went with, this is a, um, Matus, I don't, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge, UK, where I did my un undergrad, because Anglia and A-N-G, obviously direct connection. They're spelled the same and they even sound somewhat similar. So that's an easy, easy way to think of it. So the pronunciation is bong, the pronunciation is chong, the pronunciation is tong. After you see that, you just go, okay, there's an actor, which is T or C-H or B, and where are they? They're in Anglia Ruskin University, because that's the ANG final. All right, let's go into some full movies that came in this week. If you want to know more about how this works technically, there's a link to a blog post below. But essentially what we're doing here is we're taking the actor set and props and putting them together to create the meaning of the character. So if the meaning of the character is factory, the ending point of the scene, the thing that you as a director in your own mind need to think is this scene needs to exemplify a factory. Or in the case of this first one, the um, character is Zhou, which means weak. It means a week of time. And so we need to make sure this scene ends up expressing the idea of a week 
and it's got character components. It's got a pronunciation. Z-H for Xiaotian is Jack Black, right? So Jack and D, the Z-H sound is like the J sound in English. So Jack Black is a representation of Z-H. Then we have uh, three uh, components here. We have the belt, we have soil, and we have Rolling Stones mouth. These are the, directly from our suggestions, and they're all fine. So the belt is the outer component, the soil is the middle component, and the Rolling Stones mouth is the bottom component. I won a charity raffle, so for the entire weekend, Jack Black is gardening outside my front entrance because he won a char charity raffle, sure. All day he's up to his elbows in soil whilst belting Rolling Stones tunes. Okay, so my only uh, suggestion with this is that belting Rolling Stones tunes is not visual. That's an abstract concept of belting. So uh, it, it's possible you'll forget about the belt component moving forward. So you want to actually have a belt, like a, some physical belt that you can remember in your mind's eye. And it's not about remembering it today or tomorrow. It's, it's about if you forget it, maybe two months down the line. And so I would recommend making the belt a little clearer. And I'm just going to assume that um, your OU set is something that you didn't write down here, but there was not a set written here, but I assume that it's uh, uh, fine. It's just an outside the front entrance, which is the representation of first tone. Outside the front door of wherever your set is, is the first tone representation. Jack Brady on Make a Movie for S, which means four. I had my actor scoring a try in rugby league with four points. He was facing off against my mouth prop and my legs prop who were defending. Sure. So right off the bat, we have the idea of making a score in uh, rugby. And so the idea of numbers getting involved in that makes sense. And this, the props are the Rolling Stones mouth and the legs. Um, I guess it, it might not have been the Rolling Stones mouth for him. He just says my mouth prop and my legs prop who were defending. The legs came out from inside the mouth, right? Because that's a representation of how the character actually looks. The legs component is in the middle. The main idea is the four points for the try. I was having trouble coming up with a solid memorable four. Then I read through the Wikipedia page for four and rugby league is one of my favorite sports. So it jumped out at me. So this must be an, I, I'm not a, um, uh, too familiar with the rules of rugby. So there must be something about a four point uh, type of uh, whether it's like a, a penalty shot or something. There must be something related to four points. And so he's making that connection. And also what I love about this is he went to the Wikipedia page for the number four. Why not? You can go to the Wikipedia page for any of the keywords and come up with inspiration. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly reasonable. William on Make a Movie for Jung. Uh, this can also be pronounced uh, Jung. Both are fine. So in this case, he's doing it based on Jung because... Uh, he has it going on in the bathroom, which is the representation of fourth tone. We've got Yoko Ono in the bathroom of the ENG set, which when you're combining that with an I pronunciation, the E drops and it's Y-I-N-G. Yung. Props are a bus shelter, which is this sort of, uh, the it kind of looks like it. It's like a kind of, um, what do you call that? A, a lean-to. Sort of looks like a lean-to, kind of like bus stops are. And uh, the Statue of Liberty, which is the three... Um, the three strokes above and the razor blade. Yeah, and he says this, the reason why it's Statue of Liberty is because to me it looks like a hand holding something up by the fingertips, so sure. Um, Yoko Ono is lying unconscious on the bench in the bus shelter hooked up to a heart monitor showing an irregular heart rate and a large tumor on the side of her body. Lady Liberty, wearing a doctor's uniform, is desperately trying to wake her up. 
She tries the static pads to jolt her awake. She even tries slapping her in the face. Still no response, the key word. Herb, why isn't she responding? Running off out of time, she grabs a nearby giant razor blade and hastily cuts off the tumor, <laughs> making Yoko jolt awake, taking in a deep breath. She then hugs Lady Liberty for saving her life. So we got a very emotional scene. I can imagine if you want to add some special effects, we can get some dramatic music going on. We can show the facial expression of relief and gratitude. We can see the frustration on Lady Liberty's face when she's not working. And we, you know, that idea of responding. Uh, that is very much related to medical TV shows and stuff. There's always like, we're not getting a response. She's not responding. That, that kind of idea is pretty common. So... Uh, that's a good connection to the keyword there, uh, which is, of course, response. Abigail on Make a Movie for Tz, which is the Chinese character for the word word. W-O-R-D, that's the Chinese character for word. My C actor is shouting words in the kitchen of my childhood home through the megaphone, that's the left side component, and getting kids to pick up the magnetic letters, which you find on fridges, to make these words in their toy dumper trucks. Right, so that's got all the components there and the toy dumper trucks being the right side component. Now what we have here that's so cool is a, a specification of something that was previously abstract. So previously, the idea of a word is abstract, but she gets those refrigerator magnets that make words to come up with the actual specific keyword connection that you can visualize in your mind's eye. So that's a great job, Abigail. Matus on Make a Movie for Ch. My friend Hong Chang Chen sees a beggar at the entrance of my childhood home. He takes pity on him and wants to give him some coins. He notices, though, that the beggar has a chattering teeth toy, prop for mouth, through which he needs to put the money into his hat. He tries to slap the coins through those chattering teeth toy, but he ends up being bitten and the chattering teeth toy starts to eat on his arm. Right, so look, yeah, we got everything we need here. Right, because you got the beggar on the right side. We got the uh, chattering teeth toy. We've got the uh, outside the entrance to the childhood home represents Chu and uh, Hong Chang Chen, who's his friend, represents C.H. And yeah, so it looks like everything here makes sense. And of course it ends with eating, which is the keyword. Just means to eat. So great job. Zach Morgan on Make a Movie for S, which is a temple. A giant temple, I imagine a Tibetan Buddhist monast monastery, has been mysteriously constructed in the backyard of my childhood home. As I walk towards it, I notice that in front of the entrance, there is a passageway leading underground. I peer down and see Samuel L. Jackson creeping around a small room under the temple. In the center of the room is a pedestal with a pot of soil on it. That's the top component. He pulls out a ruler, the bottom component, to check the dimensions of the pot. When he is satisfied, he nabs the pot and sprints up the passageway, Indiana Jones, Jones Temple of Doom style, as the walls begin to crash down around him. Great. So there's a lot of great clear visual imagery. Both props are involved. Samuel Jackson in the back. And of course, the fact that there's a huge temple right at the beginning, that's the keyword. So that is sort of your basic idea. And this should be really easy to remember all the different parts. So you should have no problem rem rem remembering this character while I have problems articulating words. Chad Wrestler on Make a Movie for Mo, which means like some or something or that, you know, sort of 
something there, something about this, some things. That's what Mo means. Location, Joe and Ryan's house in the living room. Actor is his friend, Matt. So we have Mo covered there. Living room represents third tone. Props are a Christmas tree and a Kit Kat bar with arms and legs. So that must be his representation of the upper component because the upper component kind of relates to things being sweet. And it, I can see how it looks like Kit Kat bars as well. And he's just imagining it walking around with arms and legs to make it a little bit more interactable. We are at my in-laws for Christmas and my friend Matt has come along this year. We are all... Uh, all of us are decorating the tree, and as we are about to finish, Matt climbs up and puts a big Kit Kat with arms and legs on top of the Christmas tree in place of the angel. He climbs back down and looks up and proudly says, Isn't that something? All of us, not wanting to hurt his feelings, look up and say, Yeah, that's something, all right. And I think that this is okay to use this as a, um, even though something in this case is, you know, quite abstract, that idea of isn't that something and then ever the facial reactions are key here so matt must look very satisfied and everybody else must be like yeah that is something isn't it um and that way you'll remember the idea there so great alina dana koroian on make a movie for two which means uh uh means sentence like a sentence of language the script is Jusho, the dragon spirit of the West, so she chose a god to represent J-U. So even though it's spelled J-U, like the U sound we mentioned earlier, fictional characters, it's actually U when it's combined with J. So that any U sound can be a mythical god. So she went with Jusho, the dragon spirit of the West. Jusho, the dragon spirit of the West, is hiding in the bathroom of my childhood home. That covers the pronunciation right there. To eat the wrapped up burrito he has just stolen from the supermarket. That's the sort of outer component. His huge mouth is drooling because of the lust. That's the final component. The moment his mouth is about to bite the wrapped up burrito, Sky God appears and sentences Jusho for stealing. Jusho has to write again and again for a long period of time a sentence affirming he will never, never steal again. Jusho remains petrified with the open mouth and the wrapped up burrito near his mouth. <laughs> so nice. So this is... Um, Really well done, and the keyword is emphasized in uh, two in, in homonym. So you have the uh, greater God sentencing Jusho, and then you also have him writing down sentences. So that's great. Uh, very clear. All the props are there. You'll easily remember it. So let's get into some uh, more sort of, I guess, uh, abstract sentences that are coming or questions that came in this week, more philosophical questions. This uh, got some interesting stuff that came in. We have Jamie... Malagon on You Did It, which is the final uh, lesson in pronunciation mastery. He says, hey guys, just finished the course today and I feel blessed and very happy that I invested in Mandarin Blueprint. Thanks for the excellent content. You guys rock. Well, thank you, Jamie. And I think that you rock for going through the whole thing. Uh, really great to see that people express gratitude. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer that gratitude is something that has a very healing type of power to it. And I just mean that emotionally, like sort of when you take the time to think about all the things you're grateful for and, you know, sort of don't harp so much on the things that you're resentful of, there's a real change that creates and it's just undeniable. You have more energy, you feel better about things, you're less um, bitter and uh, it's easier to not be worn out. You know, it's like when you're grateful, you tend to have much a much better experience day to day so glad to hear that you're grateful for the course jamie and uh keep it up on the mandarin blueprint method 
Chad Ressler on New Vocabulary Unlocked, Cita. According to the progress bar, I am at lesson 1007 of 1999. Well, we're soon going to be expanding that, but hey, that's a good spot. So a little over halfway finished with the course at the moment. I want to encourage anyone who has reached this point to keep going. There are some who fly through the course, and there are some, like me, who desire to take it slow and enjoy the journey. As a slower type, do not feel the need to rush because others are going faster than you. Take this course at a pace you want and a pace you are comfortable with. If you haven't done so already, create your own Chinese learning environment at home. Add Chinese movies and TV to your Netflix list. Chinese songs to your Spotify list. Subscribe to Chinese learning channels on YouTube and join Chinese groups and pages on Facebook. You will hear, see, and interact with many of our vocabulary words on a daily basis in context other than your Anki flashcard. flashcards. Let people you are comfortable with hear you read out loud and practice out loud as much as possible. Keep on your flashcards every day, and if you need to, go back and add more sentences to your daily routine. I couldn't agree more with everything that Chad is saying here, and I'm so glad to see people encouraging each other in the course. You know, there's there's such an important key that you have to be always willing to follow, which is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which is fundamentally what Chad is saying here. He's saying don't let speed or, you know, what other people are doing become something that discourages you or makes you feel like uh, you can't keep going. Every day, do a little bit. That's way better than doing a lot and then quitting. It's so important. So thanks so much for that uh, encouraging set of uh, that encouraging set of uh, words there, Chad. William Edmides on now just look at how solid that foundation is. Hard to believe this is the end of the course. Not bad for four and a half months worth of effort, I reckon. Can't wait for the expansion. Well, it's coming soon. And so well done, William. Seriously, well done on finishing it. You've done uh, an incredible job uh, over this period of time. And... You know, Sandy recently uh, finished the course also having uh, done it in about half the time, but she was oh, she was really like doing it full time. But it's so cool to see that. So you've got like these different levels of people where they are in the course. So you have, you know, Chad who's taking it relatively slow and he's about halfway through after I think maybe about six months in the course. And then William who got finished the course in four and a half months. And then Sandy got finished in about two months. And regardless, this is go back to Chad's point. It doesn't matter doesn't matter the point and you know Sandy for example got got pretty stressed going that fast so uh you know I told her the other day on the phone I said just please be sure that you don't let that stress make you stop uh learning now I think Sandy's going to stick with it but suppose she stopped well then who's going to eventually win the race well Chad would even though uh she got finished with the course in two months. If she stops studying, Chad will eventually win. You know, the tortoise and the hare. It's a pretty classic story. And the reason why we still talk about that story today is because we recognize that it's about consistency more than it's about uh, how much you do on any individual day. Win the big game. Don't win the little game. Technical question, Abigail, on it's a word for win. Why are there two win in the sentence, 你过去问问他? And the reason for this is that any verb... You have three options to say to take that verb and make it for like mean for a moment, right? So, uh, or kind of just lighten the feel of it. So, one means to ask. One one means like ask. Just it's it's trying to get across the idea of just like uh, just give her ask her, just ask her lightly, like it's sort of a adding this this 
lightness to it or like it's no big deal you know casually go over and ask her but you can also say one e one one e one one e one and by putting that e in the middle it also is like just ask a quick question just a quick little question or you could say one xia so so by doing that you you just lighten the tone you make it mean for a moment just quickly and that's the idea behind that and you could do that with any verb well most verbs fred snyder on simple final i quiz this is probably the best explanation of tones and tone pairs i have ever seen or heard I've been studying Chinese for quite a while now and spent a lot of time over the years visiting many places. I've heard about many variations on standard Mandarin. One thing I've thought about is, how does a native Chinese speaker hear Mandarin? It seems to me that the older people here are mostly tonal speaking, whereas the younger, sometimes with more education, are more tuned to syllabic pronunciations. Thoughts? Also, do you have a WeChat? Greetings from Philly. Phil, miss those cheesesteaks? Yeah, so I guess Fred's uh, also from Philadelphia. And uh, so, the how does a Chinese speaker, a native Chinese speaker hear Mandarin? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think they hear it like any language that you are fluent in. I mean, most Chinese speakers are fluent in Mandarin and certainly understand Mandarin. I just did a, um, a little trip to Ningbo, China yesterday to do a factory visit to help uh, a friend of mine who uh, produces some um, uh, some products in China and he wanted me to go do a uh, quality check. And the guy who worked there, the factory owner, he had quite a strong accent and it's not an accent that I'm particularly familiar with. Uh, because I don't live in Ningbo, I live in Sichuan. So it was sometimes a little bit difficult to understand him. It was kind of interesting. It's exactly what you were saying, Fred, in the sense that he was older. He was at least over 60. And then later I met with a couple of other representat representatives from Suzhou, and they were younger. They were in their 30s like I am. And so they spoke great Mandarin. They also spoke decent English as well, although their Mandarin was better. And I also heard them in the car later because they gave me a ride to the airport and I heard them speaking to each other in their you know, native dialect. And it was a little bit different, but they were so easily able to switch to Mandarin. So I think for them, hearing Mandarin, especially younger people, it's just like hearing any other language that you know fluently. Uh, they know Mandarin just as fluently as they know their local dialect. And usually their local dialect is very close to Mandarin. So it's almost just like an accent. To, to a large degree. It depends on where you're from. Obviously, in some places, Mandarin is very different. But yeah. Okay. Next, Abigail and Make a Movie for Si. I've watched your commentary on Xiao Tian's movie scene, and I've had an issue before where I've used the wrong English meaning for a word. For example, for interval, what first came to mind was an interval in a show, but I didn't think Tian has that meaning in Chinese. Would it be an idea to make the keyword more clear? Thanks. Well, remember, if you remember that jian means interval, right? And then you start to see jian in, in context, like for example, shi jian, which means time. So time interval, uh, that's what time is, how, how they express time in Chinese. Or kong jian, which literally means like air interval or basically uh, empty space. Um, or uh, there's so many for jiangu, which means like the an actual interval uh, of like a jiangu xing de, uh, which is like interval training. And 
if you remember that that's what it means and you see it in that context and you start to see it in sentences, then if you thought it meant like interval in a show and now you realize it means more like an interval like uh, in space or an interval in time, you'll figure it out when you're at that level. And you got to consider how much do you know already when you go in with the slightly wrong English keyword because you have the English synonym, but then you go and uh, see it in context. You already know the character components, you know how it's pronounced, and you know the English translation with just a slight mistake in it. You're going to quickly be able to adjust your understanding. Oops, I thought it was that interval, but it's actually that inter interval. And the change doesn't change the character components, it doesn't change the pronunciation, it doesn't change the tone. So the fact that it doesn't change any of those things makes that little adjustment in your knowledge that much simpler. And so, sure, we could maybe do a better job of clarifying that it it's not a synonym, but still, even then, I don't think it'll actually be a problem when you come to the larger contexts. Jack Brady on It's a Word for Zhong. He says, you guys need to be sponsored by the Zhongguo government. Well, maybe they would. I don't know. It's well, we'll find out, I suppose. Maybe one day they'll sponsor us. <laughs> Daniel Leo Simpson on bonus, how to never forget the Chinese characters you learn. Wow, the first 22 seconds of this video, so true. It's great to hear this validation of what I had thought as well. Struggling, struggling to learn abstract lines, even writing rows of them on paper, all seem to evaporate even if several days goes by without reviewing them. But with the Hanzi movie method, even when you don't remember, you recall your scene and find out why. Maybe a weakness in the actor, the prop, or the association of some sort. You refine it, reinforce it. In other words, you have a chance. It still takes effort, but the effort pays off. Whereas with no method of association, the effort just falls to the ground wasted. Like Phil says here, you have to start all over again with rote learning. With associations, you have a chance, you have a hope, it keeps you going because you do see the progress is being made. All right, so excellent stuff here from uh, Daniel here, and I agree completely. And it's hard to get people who haven't been in the course yet to understand this concept because, you know, you're uh, essentially, um, you're trying to explain something that's based on a whole system that they would have to actually get into before they can understand what's true about this. But it really is true that when you wrote learn, if you forget a character, you just forgot it and you have to start over. Whereas if you forget an aspect of a character, because you're very rarely going to forget everything about a character with the Henson movie method, but you realize, oh, I forgot a component or I forgot a, the pinion initial or I forgot what tone this was. You can go back into your memory palace and quickly make a small adjustment and boom, you're there. It's great stuff, and it's one of the things that makes this so effective. Aaron has a practical question on required sentences versus optional sentences. This looks like something very new. I downloaded my Anki decks before this update. I don't have any of the red marked cards. Is there a way to update the deck to be able to see the required sentences marked without losing all of the work on my previous cards? Thanks. Yes, there is, Aaron. Uh, it's actually quite simple. If you get the new deck, which there are new decks... Uh, on at various levels. So any of the new decks are all for the later levels and they're for the grammar building. So the grammar building sentences, uh, there is a lesson that gives you the Anki cards right at the beginning of level 13. There's one at the end of 15, the level 15 review, the level 20 review, the level 25 review, 
and the level 30 review. And the reason is because those are the ones that come right before a new series of sentences and a new Anki deck. So we give you the deck right before you get to them. So if you go back to the lesson that is at the beginning of level 13, that says, I think it's called like, you know, all these uh, lessons have Anki deck inside as part of the title. So if you go back to level 13 and check out one of the first few lessons, you'll see it there. And uh, the level 15 review, again, it's titled, Anki decks inside level 15 review, uh, Anki decks inside level 20 review, that type of thing. So if you go to there and you download the new deck and just open the file, it'll automatically update your deck without removing your, your past work. It is quite nifty how that works. Natalia on Make a Movie for Tsim. I saw your reply in the podcast and decided to explain what I meant because I believed it could be it could help to improve the course by correcting some minor inconsistencies. The jewel component in the writing order of Tsim uh, character above is in question here. Namely, what to write first, the horizontal line in the middle of or the central vertical line. Check out the writing scheme in your post to see what I mean. As far as I know, in Japan, when they write uh, kanji for jewel. They write the vertical line first, but in China, the second horizontal stroke is written first. Uh, I know the Japanese kanji uh, came from the Chinese hanzi. That's why it's so strange and confusing that for some characters, the stroke order is actually different. I can't speak too much to Japanese because I haven't learned Japanese, but um, I can say that the first stroke in jewel should be the dot at the top. And then uh, you go from there. And my suggestion to tell you would just be follow the stroke order charts. I mean, and we have several stroke order videos, 12 of them actually, uh, throughout the course at the beginning, at the end of each level as bonus content. But to be honest, stroke order is not something you have to worry about too much for two reasons. One is it's actually quite intuitive once you get the rules down. And so long as you follow the stroke order gifts that are in your Anki flashcards and uh, or the stroke order pictures that are in the lessons, You'll get it down and you'll get the, the feel for it really quickly. But two is like, it's not that important to write Chinese characters. It's just important to know what the components are. Now, we recommend writing them to test yourself in uh, in Anki. So like when you have the card that says the keyword and the pinyin, write the actual character and then flip the card and see how close you were because it's very objective. And it also helps you just sort of get a sense of the characters. But it's not absolutely necessary to get the stroke order perfect so i wouldn't worry about it too much is my general response sandy on the uh paragraph or maybe it's the um uh, short story which means should i change she says i can't believe i understood all this paragraph yay well i'm so happy for you too sandy you didn't know anything about chinese characters less than two months ago and you just read a whole paragraph that's Amazing. Well done. Jeff Johnson on the final fake eye. I am finding it interesting that the Anki deck connects to this lesson for a discussion on the word for death. Right. That's because we used to have an, uh, a, a slide called um, in the pronunciation mastery that we since removed uh, about which is the uh, final. Uh, it's the only character in Chinese that is pronounced S-I third tone, and it means to die or death. And so I uh, said, so I wonder if there was a previous version of this video presentation. I had no idea how to answer that card when it first came up. Yeah, sorry about that, Jeff. That was a mistake on our part. We used to have it in the course and we took it out. So uh, yes, third tone means to die. So you can know that from now on and, and get that card correct. 
Richard Kraus from the email, he said, Dear Luke and Phil, I am enjoying your course very much and I already have gone much farther than I might have thought possible. In level 13, you have dropped pinion and I think that makes perfect sense. However, I'm wondering why you do not include sound files in each lesson or better yet, any speaking the sentences as in the pronunciation course. It's very helpful to see her facial muscles and expressions and how the tone sandies are expressed. Yes, I understand that I can find the sound files in the Anki cards. Please do not take my message as criticism. I'm sure that you have a valid reason. Thanks again for creating a wonderful course. Yeah, I actually responded to Richard about this and it really, it's not something that we are necessarily going to leave out uh, forever, but we do have the audio in the Anki cards and getting the audio into the actual lessons is uh, more of a project than you might think it is because the way that we made the original uh, audio files was directly in Anki. So by making them directly in Anki, uh, the Anki automatically created the file names. The file names aren't given uh, something that we can easily search for. So we would have to just sort of look through them, listen to them, figure out what sentence they are, uh, give them a title, and then upload them to the course platform, which is quite slow. And it's actually an incredibly laborious process when you consider that we have over 7,000 sentences. And they you already do have the audio in the Anki card. So it's like, do we really want to go through this huge laborious process to get these in just to have a slight improvement to the course platform when you already have the audio file? Uh, so we're probably not going to do that, at least not yet, because the course expansion is more important at the moment when it comes to where we should spend our time. Uh, but the idea of having Annie come in and do a uh, video of her speaking everything, that's a good idea. And maybe we'll do that uh, pretty soon. But for now, I would say that it's better just to um, uh, just worry about it in the Anki cards and, and listen in the Anki cards. You should be fine. As long as you took the pronunciation mastery, you'll know how to pronounce everything properly. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and we'll see you all next week.